Well, amen. I am excited for this morning. Uh, we are starting a brand new series going through the book of Galatians. And so we're going to spend the next five weeks uh, just taking one chapter at a time is my plan. Uh, so every Sunday we'll look at chapter one, this Sunday, next Sunday, chapter two, and so on. And just find and discover together uh, the true freedom that comes being found in God's one true gospel. And I pray that over the next five weeks that you will be a part of what God desires to do. Uh, I truly believe that the more we understand the gospel, the more we'll understand the freedom that is offered to us in Christ. And so I pray that you'll make a decision today to say, I'm going to commit to be there every week the next five weeks because I want to be a part of what God is doing. Uh, And so this morning we're going to dive in in just a moment. I do want to say as well, I'm really excited not only for that, but also for uh, Everett Channel. He is getting baptized today. And so we are so excited for that and get to kind of celebrate with him. He asked me a few weeks ago, and we've been kind of waiting to do this for a little bit, but he asked me a few weeks ago, he said, can I bring my swim goggles? (laughs) And you guys know what I said. Absolutely, you can bring your goggles. And in fact, please bring your swim goggles. So he comes in this morning and I asked his mom and I said, did did you bring his goggles? And she said, no. And I was like, party pooper. Okay, so can you say pooper in church? Is that okay? Did I just, I already did, so it's fine. Okay, it's on the internet now too, so it's good to go. That'll live forever. Um. But we are excited for this. And another reason I'm really excited for this morning is a couple weeks ago, uh, I preached a message uh, by grace and faith alone. And I was talking about this idea that when we come to Christ in our salvation experience, it is solely because of grace and faith. That it is the grace of God extended to sinners like me that by faith receiving that gospel, I am brought into the family of God. And now we are sons and daughters of God. And I couldn't have asked the worship team to put together a song that would better fit where we're going to go than that last song. And I love that God does this. Uh, I don't talk to the praise team. I don't tell them, hey, this is what I'm doing. Do this song or do this or that. Um, the soloist this morning, my wife, Sandra, uh, she didn't know that right after her special would be the praise band talking about the will of God, like laying our lives down and just surrendering our lives to the will of God after she sang about thy will be done. And, and so if you're sitting there this morning and you're like, wow, they really put this together really well. It wasn't us. It was God, by the work of the Holy Spirit, to impress these things on hearts and minds. And he did it for a few reasons. One, to always glorify God. But two, because maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're wrestling with something that God has laid on your heart. And you're like, God, I want to do your will, but I don't know if I can. I don't know if I'm able to do that. Well, here's the beauty of that. If it's his will, I just encourage you, go ahead and surrender. uh, Because you're going to do it sooner or later. You might as well just surrender and save yourself the agony. But number two would be when you surrender and step out, you are free in Christ to do whatever he's called you to do. And it's an amazing freedom. So a couple weeks ago, I preached this message, Faith and Grace Alone. And then last week, we were blessed to have Dan Stokes with us, uh, a missionary kind of recruiter with Ethnos 360 share in the morning service. But ever since that message a couple weeks ago, it's, it's just on my mind and my heart that I feel there are a lot of believers churchgoers, just people in our world today that are caught up in religion and don't know anything about the relationship. And it just impressed on me. That's why that message was written based on, again, what I shared with you before about that news article and this man that, again, I feel great empathy for in uh, that situation in Arizona. And if you missed that, you can go back online and you can check it out there. But it got me thinking about this idea of religion versus the relationship in Christ. 
And obviously one of the New Testament books that speaks to that very clearly is the book of Galatians. And so I was kind of reading through it for myself, just kind of, again, reminding myself some things. And, and God kind of impressed on my heart, I want you to do a series on Galatians. And my first, first response to the Lord was, Lord, we do that kind of stuff on Sunday nights. We don't do that kind of stuff on Sunday mornings. And it was almost like the Lord was like, you do now. And so, Lord, okay, Lord, we, normally I would do a book verse-by-verse study on a Sunday night setting because it's a little more interactive, engaging. Uh, but this morning, as we have, and we have done it before. I was kind of teasing a little bit there, but we've done these kind of studies before. But this morning we're going to do kind of more that style of message. And so I pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by that. Again, last couple of weeks ago, we talked about the reality that in our world today, quite literally, billions of people are trapped in a system of works-based religion. These groups teach that it's doing good things or being a, quote, good person that gains you heaven or nirvana, depending on their belief system. Even in some Christian denominations, it's Jesus plus something else that they believe gains you forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. And as we talked about that week, a couple weeks ago, salvation, and if you need to write this down, I encourage you to do so. It's a statement that I read often to remind myself of my need for him. It is not my performance that keeps me in Christ. Uh, John MacArthur said it well, if I could lose my salvation, I would. But I love this statement, and it's a statement that is so simple, but it's drawn me back to the power of the gospel and the reality of the need of grace. Salvation is all of God, because it is all of grace. Salvation is all of God, because it is all of grace. This again led me to desire to do a study together through the book of Galatians, as the mindset of Jesus plus something was a real struggle, even within the early church. This is really the whole emphasis in the letter of Galatians that Paul's driving force, even in the opening verses, is to get us to realize it's not Jesus plus your good works. It's not Jesus plus your church membership. It's not Jesus plus anything you do. It is Jesus alone. This was the call of the early church. This is the call of the Reformation. It is grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not me. It is not this building. It is not your good works. If you are living your life thinking that your good is going to outweigh your bad, if you could just do enough good, you have no concept of what God as an eternal judge will be. He does not get you to heaven or to his gates and go, okay, let's weigh it out. Let's see how you do. I'm going to put some on the good side and some on the bad side. I got bad news and really good news. Your scale is only bad. There is no good. Well, no, come on now, preacher. You don't even know me. I'm a good person. I do good things. I loan things to my neighbors, and I don't even expect them to bring them back. That's how good I am. I'm a good person. I help people. That's great. That's really, that's great. But the Bible, see, this is why we need, this is our standard. Not me, not my understanding. This is our standard. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says in Isaiah that your good deeds are as filthy rags before a holy and just God. That means you can't do anything good that you're going to give to God as a present. He's going to go, okay, you know what? That's pretty good. Come on in. No. 
And that's, I said it was good news and bad news. The reason it's great news and good news to you is because if it's not based on what you do, you can't lose it based on what you don't do. If it's in grace alone, by faith alone, through Christ alone, then it is only him that holds on to you. You don't hold on to him. And in fact, if it was up to you, we'd let go every day. You ever, you ever experienced that in your own Christian life? God, I'm just done. God, I just can't anymore. I'm so glad when we say those things to him, he doesn't go, okay, fine, and lets us go. He holds us, I believe, just a little tighter. There's no, 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 no. You're my son. You're my daughter. I will never forsake you. I will never let you go. And so as we go through this study, I pray that the desire of my heart will be fulfilled and that God will be glorified, number one. But number two, that you will experience freedom in the true gospel. You can turn there. We're going to take just a moment to explain a little bit about Galatians. But if you want to turn there, Galatians chapter 1. If you're re- using one of the Bibles provided, so when the seats in front of you are around you, there are some Bibles. If you're using one of those, you can just turn to page 819. So Galatians chapter 1 or page 819, if you'd like to turn there. Uh, we are going to read the first 10 verses in just a moment. But I want to give you a little bit of background on this book. I believe that the more we understand about this letter, which is really what this is, we call it a book in the New Testament. It's really a letter written from the Apostle Paul to a church. And the more we understand about that, the better we can understand how it applies in their context as well as our own. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing we want to talk about is a gospel of divine origin. A gospel of divine origin. And if you are taking notes, I encourage you to do so. You guys know the statistic by now. You've got it memorized that roughly 98% of people who take notes in church go to heaven. So if you want to get that little extra, just make sure. Throw some things down on a piece of paper. You should be good. But I will also say, if you do want a copy of my actual notes, you can reach out to me. I'd be more than willing to send you either a digital copy. Um, I've had people come up to me on a Sunday morning and say, hey, can I have a copy of your notes? And I go, yeah, here. And I just hand them my outline. I will tell you the way my brain works, though, uh, people have said, you made a really good point. Can I get a copy of your notes so I can get that point? And I always warn them with this. It may or may not be in the notes. I, I do usually say what's in the notes, but I also, as you guys know, say things that aren't always in the notes. So I I can't guarantee that that point or that thought was in there, but we do our best. And so a gospel of divine origin. A little background on this letter. It is a Pauline letter, which means the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. And he is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote a third of the New Testament. And so again, quite often you're reading in the New Testament, you're reading a letter from Paul. Uh, It is an amazing little letter. The audience that's receiving this are churches in the region of Galatia. Galatia. This would be, uh, some believe, southern area of the Roman province of Galatia, cities of Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. So it's multiple little cities kind of surrounded. It's one church, the Church of Galatia. Now, we don't understand that in our church context because we know in Emily City, if you were to drive, which we are technically Emily City, if you were to drive from our church and just drive into Emily City till 69, so you get to I-69, you are going to pass a lot of churches in Emily City. Some of varying denominations, some same denominations, different backgrounds, and so on. In this context, when Paul's writing to the church singular of Galatia, there's little churches all through this region in different cities, different areas, but it's all one church. 
Okay, so that's kind of a little bit different for us in some ways, because in the early church, there were not denominations as we know them today. There was the church. And so Paul's writing this. And so one church in these churches, one local body, if you want to say it that way, would get up and read this letter to its body. And then they would send it on to the next group and the next group. Can I just pause for a second? How amazing would it be if we received directly a letter from the Apostle Paul and we could read words he wrote to you and I? That would be pretty cool. It'd be a little concerning too, wouldn't it? Because if you ever read his letters, he says some really encouraging things. But then he says some really personal things. And he'll say, hey, as a church, you're doing, man, amazing in this. But by the way, I know about this and this, and that's not really honoring and glorifying God. Might want to clean that up a little bit. And so as much as it'd be like, oh, I'd love to receive a letter from Paul, sometimes I'm like, Maybe not, you know, because the ones he wrote to other churches convict me enough that I don't need one specifically to me. But this is the beauty of it. This letter is to these churches, but guess who it's also to? You and I. Yes, in the immediate context, it was written to the church of Galatia. But the word of God, as it tells us, is inspired by God. That means God breathed. And it is profitable for all, for all of the church. It is profitable for reproof and for correction to instruct us in the ways of righteousness. And so, yes, in its immediate context, the church of Galatia would receive this, but we know it is for us today as believers. The churches were believed to be founded, these churches I just referenced, during Paul's first missionary journey. And if you want to write this down, you can find the beginning of that first missionary journey in Acts chapter 13, verse 1. So Acts of the Apostles, chapter 13, verse 1. It's kind of the beginning of his ministry, this first missionary journey where he established these churches. The date that this book was written, this letter was written, was between 48 and 53 AD. That may not seem important, but it will come into play soon. And then also the purpose of this letter. Why did God lead Paul to write this letter to this group at this time? Well, the purpose, many believe, is to disprove and correct those in the church who were adding Old Testament works to the gospel, and who also questioned Paul's apostolic authority. So these individuals in the church are teaching, it's not just Jesus alone, it's Jesus plus Old Testament law, Old Testament works, Old Testament circumcision. That's, you got that plus Jesus, now you're good. And then when people in the church started to question that and say, well, I don't know, that's not really what Paul has taught us. They would then attack the apostle Paul and say, well, who's he anyway? He doesn't have the authority to speak to you this way. And so these false teachers were beginning to kind of propagate this teaching and this thinking. And now these new believers are thinking, well, maybe this makes sense. Maybe we're supposed to do this or that. There's also historical importance to this little letter tucked in our New Testament. Historical importance would be that Galatians has been called Luther's book. Because Martin Luther, the reformer, relied so strongly on this letter and his writings and arguments against the prevailing works-based theology of his day. So even Martin Luther, the great reformer, who started unofficially, officially the Reformation, who went to the church door at the church in Wittenberg and nailed his 95 theses to the door and said, we're done with this. You're not going to teach people that they need to work their way to heaven. It says in Romans... The just shall live by faith. 
And he got tired of it. He said, no, this is not, you're not teaching what the Bible actually says. The Bible says it's faith alone in grace alone through Christ alone. And he started this thing called the Reformation where churches began to actually question and read scripture for themselves. Now we know from the time of the New Testament all the way through to that period in the 1500s, there's always been the church. There's always been a group that said, we're going to stay true to the New Testament teaching. No matter what the big church is doing, we're going to stay true to this. And there was always that group. There was always that group of individuals. They got called different things at different times in history, but they were always there. And the Reformation really, in reforming the church, merely brought the church back to the basics of Scripture. And in fact, that was the cry, not only of Martin Luther, but even of men like Calvin and Haas and William Tyndall. It was Scripture Scripture, Scripture. Let's get back to what the Scripture says. And so why did Martin Luther rely so heavily on Galatians? That is a great question. I'm so glad you asked. You guys always ask the best questions. Galatians chapter 1. Let's turn there together if you haven't done so already. We see here a gospel of divine origin. You've got a little background now on the letter. I want to give you this idea of a call to the true gospel. Paul's giving us a call to the true gospel. Galatians chapter 1. Again, page 819, if you want to turn there. And we're going to read the first 10 verses. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Praise God, we don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a risen Savior. Amen? Do you notice how Paul's starting right away with the resurrection? He's already getting us to the point of this is the foundation of everything that we hold to in Christianity. If Jesus is still in the tomb, we have no salvation. But because he rose again, because he rose again, 1 Corinthians 15 establishes this idea as well. Verse 2 in Galatians 1. And all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel, verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if I, or if any man, sorry, preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Let's pray and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that we find therein. And I pray, Father, that you would affirm these things that we've read, that your word, as it says it will do, will go forth and not return void, that you will call us back to this true gospel. Now, Lord, I know that sitting in a church right now are many, many believers who have professed and and know the true gospel. They've received Christ. They know you. They have a relationship with you, Lord. And so for some of them, Lord, they may be sitting there thinking like, okay, well, I can kind of tune out of this one. I already know this. 
Father, I pray that wouldn't be the case. I pray that they would be drawn by your spirit into the reality of the gospel, that it would challenge their thinking. Not do they know Christ or not, Lord, because if they know you, they know you, and that's sealed in the finished work of the cross. But Lord, if they do know you, are they living the gospel? Are they, are they living in a way of worship unto you, believing it truly is only of grace? Father, are they able to communicate to others around them the reality of the gospel? That it's not about what we do, it's about what you've done. And so, Father, maybe they're in that area right now in their thinking. Father, maybe there's somebody here this morning that has never received the gospel. Lord, they've gone to church a ton. They've been baptized. They've read the Bible. They write tithe checks. They do good things. Generally good people in their own eyes. But Father, they've never for themselves confessed their sins and trusted in Christ to save them. Believing that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection was for them. For the forgiveness of their sins. That they would confess their sins, repent, turn from their sins, and trust in you. If they've never done that, Lord, you can't go to church enough. You can't be good enough. You can't get baptized enough. There's got to be that profession of faith in Christ. Not because we say so. Not because this church or that church says so. But because your word says so. The unchanging, true word of God. So help us to understand this, Lord to apply it, and to live free in accordance with your gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is calling here in Galatians 1 the believers back. Notice they've already received, many of them, this idea of the gospel. He's calling them back to the simplicity of the gospel. They were being taught that they needed to submit to Old Testament customs, again, plus Jesus to be saved. And what shocks me is this type of confusion is taking place within approximately 20 years of Jesus' ascending into heaven. Remember I said the date of writing is, will be important later. If you look at when this letter was written in comparison to when Jesus ascended, it's approximately within 20-year period. So Jesus, within 20 years, has been on planet Earth ministering and teaching and preaching. And within 20 years, his church is confused about the nature of even salvation. How do we really even know that we're saved? This is not uncommon, or it's not just something the church of Galatia struggled with. 1 John, if you've ever studied 1 John, we did this on Wednesday nights a few months ago. 1 John is an amazing letter written by the apostle John to the local church to affirm to them the reality of their belief. See, they were doubting their salvation. Are we really saved? Do we really know him? And he gave these kind of spiritual benchmarks, spiritual tests, if you will, to say, do you really know Christ here? If you see this, or do you see that? If you feel this, if you know that, he's giving them ammunition to say, this is how you know that you know that you're saved. And so see, even in the early church, even believers were questioning, do I really know him? And so if you've ever in your Christian walk paused and went, God, do I really know you? Have I really received you for myself? You're not alone. 2,000 years of church history tells us you're not alone. And we don't run from those questions. We run to Christ with those questions. And we say, Lord, give me wisdom in this and draw me to your word that I might know that I know that I know you. And so Paul's drawing them and encouraging them to come back to this simplicity of the gospel. The church was being filled with false teachers preaching, quote, another gospel, according to Paul's writings here, which, as Paul says, is no gospel at all. 
It's not another of the same kind, but another that is completely different. When he says another gospel, it's not another of the same kind, right? Like when I was growing up, there was certain times we wanted certain kinds of cereal. Who doesn't love cereal when you're a kid? I eat cereal now. In my opinion, cereal right before bed is the best bedtime snack. Nothing's better than a bowl of Frosted Flakes at 10 o'clock at night before you go to bed. I'm just telling you. It's great. Captain Crunch is up there. Peanut Butter Captain Crunch is pretty far up there. Okay? It's really good stuff. Now, some of you are like, "Ah, I'm not into Peanut Butter Captain Crunch. That's okay. We can talk after. You can receive Christ. You'll be fine. (laughs) Manna, Peanut Butter Captain Crunch, probably the same thing. But when we were kids growing up, we always wanted the name brand cereal. You guys know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't, I wanted Frosted Flakes. I don't want, like, Frosty Flakes, right? Like, or, like, I wanted Captain Crunch, not the bagged off brand of that. And my mom used to always get so irritated because we'd go grab these, you know, at that time it was a lot cheaper. It was probably like two bucks a box. Now it's like $75 a box, I think, with everything going on. But you grab this box of cereal and you're like, oh, I want this. And then she grabs that bag of, something that's supposed to be the same thing. And she goes, oh, this is the exact same thing. You know what she's saying? It's another of the exact same kind. But I'm telling you right now, it was not always another of the exact same kind. Now, sometimes it is, but I can tell you right now, as a parent, we walk in the cereal aisle, my kids run to those ones. I'm like, look, the bag stuff's right here, okay? (laughs) You don't need Rice Krispies. We'll get crispy rice, you know? (laughs) Like, I grew up, (laughs) we... Some of you are going to relate with this. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Did you ever get the cereal that was just the white box with the black writing and like the, just a bowl with like crispy rice on it? It was just like, I don't know, I think it was like Focus Hope cereal or something we used to get when I was a kid. That was always on the top of our, our refrigerator, okay? It's just what it was. So our kids are like, well, I don't want that stuff. And now as a parent, I'm like, I'm not spending three more dollars for the box, which is really what you're getting, right? But as a kid, I used to always think, this is not the same thing. Now, sometimes it is. I will tell you, macaroni and cheese, Kraft macaroni and cheese, and that other stuff, great value, whatever that means. This great value stuff, not the same thing, right? It's another, but not of the same kind. So what is Paul saying here? They're preaching a gospel to you that, man, it looks like it could be the same thing. But once you dive into it, once you taste it, once you see it, you realize it's another kind, but it's not the same kind. This is not the same gospel that was preached to us. It's another, but not of the same kind. Again, this is Paul's call. Reject the teaching of those false teachers. In reality, there is only one gospel. One gospel. And he actually stated it for us in verse 4. In verse 4. Now, I I want you to listen to how the New Living Translation translates verse 4. Just a slightly different translation, but I love the way the wording is here. It says, Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. That is the simplicity of the gospel. Jesus gave his life for our sins. Why? According to God's plan and God's will, that's what needed to happen. And he did it to rescue us, not just for eternity in heaven, but even from this present evil world. See, that is the gospel. And when we understand the power of the grace in the gospel, because by the way, what part did you have in verse four? Nothing. 
He died for your sins. You didn't do anything to cover your sins. All you did was receive what he already did. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. So what's the result of that? Well, he tells us in verse 5. When I understand the grace in the gospel, verse 5 makes perfect sense. Verse 5. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Man, when I understand the gospel is based solely in what Christ did for me and the grace therein, I cannot glory in self. I have to, in turn, glory in God. And how long does that glory go for? Does it stop here or that generation or no? It's forever. It never ceases. When we stand before him in his, his heavenly throne room, uh, Pastor Keith read the verse. That when he appears and we are before him, we will see him and we will be like him. And what's the result going to be in that moment when we're overwhelmed by the power and the glory and the majesty of the throne room of God? We are going to say glory to you forever. And we're going to join in with the angels in their tens upon tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of angels that are shouting one thing, glory to God in the highest. And glory to the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world for the sins of many. See, it is the gospel that will lead you to directly glorifying God and running from self-indulgence and fulfilling your own selfish desires. So that is the true gospel. But what about Paul's authority to say such things? What gives Paul the authority to say these things? Remember, that's the other thing. Not only calling them to the gospel and the true gospel, but also there were those that were questioning Paul's authority. Who is Paul to say these things? And why should we listen to what Paul has to say? Well, again, a great question. Glad you asked it. Look at verse 1. And then we're going to go to verse 11. So again, we're going to read a lot of, we're going to read all of, I believe, chapter 1 this morning. So Galatians 1.1 again. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. Now go to verse 11 of chapter 1. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by the revelation of Jesus Christ. For ye have heard of my conversion... Verse 13, in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it and profited in the Jews' religion above many, my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his, what's that word? Grace. To reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. So again, remember, Paul's... Authority is being challenged. These false teachers don't listen to Paul, listen to us. And so Paul, in writing to this church, gives them his testimony. And I love this, that Paul always goes back to his testimony. The first thing he reminds them of is he received the gospel of Christ directly from Christ. That he was called by Christ 
specifically receiving the gospel from Christ to preach that gospel to the nations. You see, Paul was called by Christ directly in Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we read about the conversion of Paul. And after spending three years with the Lord, he returned to do what he was called to do, which was preach the gospel. The origin of the gospel is not man-made. So many people have said, oh, it's just a man-made religion. This, this is not what we would come up with. And you know how I know that's not what we would come up with? Because in every other religion in the world outside of Christianity, it's works-based. Only Christianity is grace-based. So that tells me, us to ourselves, we come up with works. Us, based in God's gospel, we're left with grace. Why? Because we want to be able to glory in what we did. And so in religion of works, I can stand before God and go, look what I've done. We can also say, look how much better I am than them. My stepdad grew up in a very staunch church, very strong church. And he told me years later, he lived a very kind of worldly life. But years later, when I came to Christ at 16, I spent years thinking I could convince him to get saved. If I could just talk him into it, he'll get saved. And we just argued a lot. It was not fruitful, not helpful. I was ignorant and immature in my desire. And I kept hammering and hammering and hammering. And finally, God said, who's going to save him, you or me? And I realized, okay, God, this is a work of the Spirit. And if you know my stepdad, it's very much a work of the Spirit. But you know one of the biggest roadblocks to him getting saved was? And praise God, he did receive Christ and was baptized. Not because I convinced him of it, because I just had a conversation with him one night when he was in a down time and just shared some truth with him. And God's Spirit did a great work and led him to himself, and he received Christ. But you know one of the biggest roadblocks to him getting saved was? His church experience growing up in church. And here's why. He said, I knew right away how fake it was. And I thought, oh, okay, here we go. The whole, you know, church is full of hypocrites. By the way, we're all hypocrites. We're, none of us are perfect. Doesn't justify or condone sin. We strive to live sin free, but we all make mistakes. So there's no perfect person. Therefore, we're all kind of hypocrites. And that's, again, why do we need grace? Because we can't do it on our own. But he said he used to go to church. He said it was more like a fashion show than anything else growing up. This would have been in the 60s and even early 70s. He said it was more about who was wearing what. And then you'd listen to people talk about how somebody was dressed this way or dressed that way. Or they weren't looking the part. And he said it just drove him crazy because they were all fake and phony. But then some guy would get up and talk about love. And he would realize right away. He's like, this place doesn't even love me. How can you love people out there? That was the biggest roadblock to him coming to Christ. Because left to ourselves, that's what we create. A judgment-based, works-based, performance-based, I'm better than you, trying to be better than them. That's the system we come up with left to ourselves. What does God give us? Grace. Grace. It is not man-made. In the Roman and Greek world, Christianity was foolishness. It was foolishness. For believers to worship a man that was crucified by Romans as a God, was literally laughable. You can jot it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Paul writes, the message of the cross is foolishness or moria. Moria. In the Greek, moria is where we get the English word for moron. Paul says, in the culture, it was moronic to believe in Jesus Christ. There's actually dated archaeological evidence of graffiti in the Roman world, 
mocking and making fun of Christians. It's the image of a man being crucified with the head of a donkey and a man at the foot of the cross is bowing down, worshiping. And the basic translation is it names the person he's worshiping his God. See, even in the culture of the Roman world, Christianity was mocked and ridiculed as foolishness. See, Paul's gospel was not man-made. It did not fit the culture. It did not originate in the culture. The message of the cross is a hard and unbelievable message in Paul's day as it is in our day as well. Listen to what one author says in regards to the gospel and the cross. He says this, the message of the cross, and I think we need to hear this, especially in our culture today. The message of the cross is not about felt needs, which concerningly most churches nowadays only speak to felt needs. But he says the message of the cross is not about felt needs. It's not about Jesus loving you so much he wants to make you, quote, happy. It is about rescuing you from damnation because that is the sentence that rests upon every human being. And so the gospel is an offense every way you look at it. There is nothing about the cross that fits in comfortably with how man views himself. See, the cross goes in the face of our pride and our arrogance. We think we can do it on our own. And the gospel of Christ says, no, it is only the cross of Christ that can save. You see, the gospel was preached in a culture that was not accepting of it just as it is today. The mockery we receive from those in the world is not new. So we shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't get mad at it. We should keep moving forward. Let's stop complaining about getting called a name and start realizing that by grace we've been saved for eternity in his heaven and they just need Jesus. Let's stop protesting and shouting and start sharing the gospel and watch God change hearts and minds. See, Paul was given a gospel that was not of his own origin. Also, it was not man-made. And finally, and, and quickly, and you guys know what that means. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> not only was Paul given the gospel directly from Christ, spent three years with Jesus being trained and discipled. It's, again, an interesting thing to realize that he spent this time with Christ just as the original 12 Apostles had spent, but also his revelation was affirmed. This is an important part of Galatians. I don't want us to miss. Not only was he given the gospel by Christ, but his revelation of the gospel was affirmed in the early church. So let's look at this together. Galatians one in verses 18 and 19. Then after three years being spending that time with Jesus being trained and discipled, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Now, this is interesting to note. James, the Lord's brother. Now, we know not full brother, but this is the half brother of Jesus. If you read the little epistle in the back of your New Testament called the book of James, James is the author of that book. This is the James that Paul's referring to. James was also the senior pastor, if you will, in our understanding of the church at Jerusalem in the book of Acts. And so here in just two verses, we see two of the apostles that walked with Christ, that received direct commission from Christ, affirm Paul's revelation. You see, Peter being the main apostolic figure in the first 10 chapters of Acts 
and an author of God's word himself, confirmed Paul's writings were, in fact, Scripture. You can jot it down. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16. Peter writes of Paul's words and says, just as our brother Peter writes these things of God and refers to them in the way of Scripture. So again, here's Peter affirming the vision, the revelation of Paul. This is important to note because in our day and age, people and in church history have claimed to have revelation from God. People have started cults or movements or groups claiming that God gave them this revelation, this great vision. Joseph Smith received supposedly golden tablets. Nobody's ever seen them. Nobody had ever seen them, but it's supposedly God gave them to him. The issue I would have with that, and people would say, well, look, Paul says the same thing. He went out in the wilderness, he got a vision, and now he's this great apostle. The problem I have with is, that is, Paul was affirmed by the existing apostles. Joseph Smith was never affirmed in his teachings by anyone in Christianity, and especially not by original apostles who walked with Jesus. So again, this is an important note that Paul is making here, and we need to pay attention to it. Also, we see not only was his revelation affirmed by Peter, his revelation was also affirmed by the Spirit. By the Spirit. Look at verse 20. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God I lie not. Now that sounds surface. So what? Paul's saying he's not going to lie about this. Of course that's what he would say. But really what he's saying is a reference to something he said also in the book of Romans. Another letter written by the Apostle Paul. In Romans chapter 9, verse 1, Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Again, similar wording. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. So what Paul is saying here basically is, I'm telling you I'm not lying, but also God in me. God is a witness. The Spirit is a witness in me. I'm not convicted in my conscience. I'm saying this with a clean conscience, a pure heart. And if I was lying, the Spirit of God would challenge that and share that with you. So it's Paul's way of saying, not only is Peter and James affirming me, uh, affirming my revelation in Christ, the Spirit is affirming my revelation. And then finally, he is affirmed by the churches, by the churches. Look at verses 21 to 23. It says this, Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and was unknown by face unto the churches of Judah, which were in Christ. This is the key. But they had heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preaches the faith which once he destroyed. So this is the churches affirming the revelation of Paul. And how are they doing that? They didn't know him personally. They did not know him. Paul says they didn't know me by my face. Meaning when Paul walked into the room, they had no idea who he was. They didn't know Paul at the look of him. But they heard the story of Paul, how he once persecuted the church, and now he's preaching the same faith that he once persecuted. So what does this tell us? They recognize that he preached the faith, which was once what he destroyed. This tells us the message of the apostles preached in Acts chapters 2 through 10 was in agreement with Paul's preaching in the rest of the book of Acts. Do you see that? Paul's preaching was the exact same message that these churches received in Acts 2 through 10. So they said, we don't know Paul. We just heard his story. But we do know what he's preaching is just like what they preached when he was attacking the church and persecuting the church. So it's, in a way, affirming the revelation of Paul. Finally, the results of his preaching gives evidence as well. In that the people glorified God and not Paul. Look at 
verse 24. I love verses like this, so simple and direct. And they, the churches, glorified God in me. They did not glorify me. They glorified God in me. The result of his preaching gives evidence as well that the people glorified God, not Paul. This is the call of all preachers of God's word. That they are, glor- that they are not glorified, but that God is glorified because it is obviously a work of the spirit, not of man. And Paul says this throughout his writings, showing this evidence over and over again. And I want to conclude with this idea that as a pastor of a church, I pray that this is my ministry as well. I told someone just this last week that I was challenged in college. If a pastor leaves a church and the church flounders and struggles, the church was built on the pastor. But if a pastor leaves a church, and I'm not going anywhere as far as I'm concerned, but if a pastor leaves the church and the church continues, then the church was built on Christ. This church is not built on me. My style of preaching or my personality, God forbid it would ever be built on something so shallow and surface. But we pray as a church that this is built as a church on the gospel because that is where the power lies. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. And so I'm praying that for you this morning, you will realize that in the same way, God can use you. As you're sitting there thinking, like, what does that have to do with me? God used Paul, a man with great limitations, both physical. He didn't speak well. He was mocked for his inability to speak well. He couldn't see very well at times. And yet God used him to change the church and to change the world. Why? Because he was surrendered and willing, receiving the gospel and allowing God to be glorified through that. So what is God calling you to do? How will God glorify himself through you? And will you stop looking at your limitations and merely trust in the gospel and the freedom that you have? Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? We're going to conclude our service with your heads bowed right there with a time of invitation before we have our baptism. And so we want to invite you to just begin to pray. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a song of invitation. And maybe you would begin to pray right there where you are. Whatever it is that God is leading you to, to decide. Maybe you're here today and you've not received the gospel for yourself. Maybe you'd receive that today. Maybe you're here and you know Christ is your savior, but you've been living in a performance-based system, thinking it's about you and what you do, not living free in Christ. Maybe you would come and pray and say, God, give me wisdom in this. Help me to live in the true freedom that comes only in Christ. Thank you that you will not forsake me or leave me, but you hold on to me eternally secure in you. And maybe you're here this morning and you're a follower of Christ and you see your limitations and you think that that's going to somehow hinder what God wants to do in your life. That God could never use someone like you because of your past, because of your decisions. I pray that you would know that if you receive Christ, repenting of your sins, that he can use you right where you are, just as you are for his glory. And so maybe you would come and pray and say, Lord, I'm going to leave this at the altar. I'm not going to carry this with me anymore. I have shame and guilt and fear staying here because I'm trusting in you and I believe in the gospel. Whatever God is doing, would you respond accordingly? Father, we thank you for this morning. We pray that you'd be glorified in all that was said and done and I pray that you would move as you see fit. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning as we're led in a song of invitation? Would you respond to what God is doing this morning as we sing?